Jonah chapter two. I'm gonna read the whole chapter. It's very short. Keep in mind, Jonah is inside the belly of a fish that God has prepared because Jonah decided to go in the opposite direction God had called him. And here is really Jonah's plea to God as he cries out from inside the belly of the fish. Listen to these words. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord as God from inside the fish. And he said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble. And he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead. And Lord, you heard me. And you threw me into the ocean depths and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters, they engulfed me and I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head and I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord, my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, Jonah says, I remembered the Lord in my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies But Jonah said, I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. And then verse 10, it says, Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit or vomit Jonah out onto dry ground. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we are so thankful for the word of God. Your word is alive, it is powerful, it still speaks today and it changes hearts and lives in ways that no human word could ever do. So God, I pray and Holy Spirit, I ask that in these next few moments together, convict our hearts, challenge us, open our eyes and our ears to see and hear from you this morning, I pray, so that your word would not just be a word that comes up on one ear and goes out the other, but it would be a word that begins to take root in our heart, in our life, that it would change and transform how we live and how we interact with others, how we think and respond in situations. And I pray that your living word would change and transform every aspect of our heart and life today. Holy Spirit, help me to communicate your word boldly, with simplicity, with clarity. And I pray, God, that you would help me to decrease and you to increase and be the focus of our time together, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Wanna just quickly recap, if you've not been with us for the last few weeks, we began this very short series in the book of Jonah, simply called All Need to Hear. And in Jonah chapter one, we talked about a few weeks ago, really this point of the great commission is the responsibility of every believer. The Great Commission is simply Jesus' words to his disciples and to us today that we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is a commission or a mandate that wasn't just given to a small group of people only, but it is a mandate that is given to every person who says yes to following Jesus Christ. But we also looked at a few weeks ago how there are some who are uniquely called And there are some who are set apart for a very specific mission, very specific purpose. Oftentimes they are called to leave the comfort of their home 
and go to a foreign land to do what God has called them to do, oftentimes declaring the good news of Jesus Christ. And every missionary that senses that call, they've been set apart, uniquely called of God to leave the comforts of their home and oftentimes go to a land that may very well be a dangerous place, knowing that there are people who need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. We saw in Jonah chapter one, Jonah was called to go to likely the most dangerous place at the time. He was called to go to his enemy, the nation of Assyria, which he was specifically called to go to the city of Nineveh. They were a ruthless, godless group of people, but this was the group of people God said to Jonah, I want you to go and I want you to declare my judgment to them. We all know from Jonah chapter one that Jonah had a different plan in mind. Instead of going where God told him to go, Jonah decided to run in the opposite direction to get as far away from God's plan and as far away from the people of Nineveh as he could. So he ran in the opposite direction. He boarded a ship that was going in the complete opposite direction God had called him to, and it brought havoc upon that ship. I think we learned a few weeks ago that none of us, no matter how um, sly we may be, none of us can run from God's call untouched. We can certainly try to go in the opposite direction. We can certainly try to avoid what God has called us to do. But the reality is we will not do so without being touched by God in some other way or fashion. Yes, we have the choice to make whether or not we're going to serve him and say yes to him. But I can promise you we will never be comfortable. We will constantly be restless if we are running away from where God calls us to me to be. And so Jonah, trying to escape God's call, Jonah ended up inside the belly of a great fish that God himself had prepared. And God will do, and we saw this a few weeks ago, God will do whatever is necessary to get our attention. And certainly this was the case for Jonah. He prepared a great storm. He prepared a great fish in order to get Jonah's attention. Why? Because every single person needed to hear the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, even the most difficult people. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand, but I'm certain there are people in our life that we can think of that are difficult. People that we would rather not talk with, people that we would rather not have a relationship with, people that annoy us, people that get on our nerves. Uh, and I'm, don't raise your hand, all right? I know, I know every single one of us in this room, if we're truly, truly honest, we would raise our hand and say we have those people in our life. But the reality is even the people that are most difficult, that annoy us, that rub us the wrong way, people that are, that are our enemies, people that we would rather not talk with, even those individuals deserve to hear and need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Because just like you and me, all of us, before we say yes to Christ, we're all sinners, we all fall short of the glory of God, and we all need rescued. And the only person who can save us, who can rescue us from the pit of despair, from darkness, from a life of sin is the person of Jesus Christ. And so regardless of how annoying those people or that person may be, they still deserve to hear and need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And for Jonah, he saw the people of Nineveh, not so much as annoying, but he feared for his life. 
He knew that if he went to the people of Nineveh, Nineveh and declared the judgment of God over them, that there was a good chance he would not return to Israel. He feared for his life. Therefore, he decided to run and try to escape the very call and plan of God. And yet he was not able to do so without being touched by God. God got his attention and he redirected his path. Today, we're gonna unpack Jonah chapter two, Jonah's conversation with God and discover the repentant heart and the willingness of Jonah, at least in this season when he is inside the belly of a great fish, the willingness of Jonah to submit to God's better plan. And from this conversation, there are some very important and valuable truths about God that we learn and things about our relationship to God. And that's really where I want to focus our attention this morning. When we read Jonah chapter two, it's not, it's not one that probably is preached on often. You hear messages on Jonah one and Jonah chapter three and Jonah four. Jonah two oftentimes kind of gets skipped uh, because Jonah is inside the belly of the fish, but we see that there is a repentant heart. There is at least for a season, a willingness by this man by the name of Jonah, a prophet who, who decides that he is going to listen to what God wants him to do and realize that God has snatched him, as he says, from the jaws of death. So there's three very important lessons, valuable truths that I think we discover from Jonah too regarding God and our relationship to him. The first one is this. We always have an audience with God despite our circumstances. How many are thankful that we always have an audience with our heavenly father despite the circumstances we find ourselves in? I know I'm incredibly thankful that I always have an audience with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, Jonah's prayer magnifies this reality from inside the fish. I wanna point you to Jonah chapter two and I want you to see this again and we're gonna kind of walk slowly through Jonah two and unpack Jonah's prayer. Listen to what he says. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from inside the fish. And he said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble and he answered me. And I called to you from the land of the dead and Lord, you heard me. I want you to see these statements again and, and look at the circumstances and the condition that Jonah finds himself in. First of all, he says, I cried out to the Lord, where? In my great trouble. And he answered me. And then he says, I called to you from the land of the dead. And he says, Lord, you heard me. We know that Jonah's refusal to do what God had called him to do, what's very interesting here, does not cut off the communication line between Jonah and between God. Even though Jonah refused to do what God had asked him to do and tried to escape the plan of God altogether, Jonah still had a communication line with God, so much so that he's able to say, Lord, I called to you from the land of the dead. So, so I want you to consider the circumstances of Jonah here. He realizes he is at, at his very lowest point. But even at his lowest point, when everything around him seems to not even make sense, he realizes that he still has an audience. There is still a communication line that has not been cut off between him at his lowest point and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Likely for Jonah, I mean, let's just be honest. If we put ourselves in Jonah's shoes for just a moment, 
And all of us can probably think, uh, you know, if we take a few minutes to think about our lowest point uh, in our life, for Jonah, this had to be it. I mean, the man was cast into, into the sea. He was close to drowning. And all of a the sudden, there is this great fish that swallows him up. And he's inside the belly of a disgusting, smelly fish where he will spend three days and three nights. I don't know about you, but that has to be the lowest point for Jonah. And even in that lowest point in what he refers to as the, the land of the dead, even at that lowest point, He's likely wondering, is God gonna hear my prayer? He's gonna hear my cry. And yet we see that that communication line has not even been cut off. He still has an audience with God. I want you to think for just a moment, how often have we thought things like, you know what, God certainly isn't going to listen to me. I've screwed up too bad or, I've royally messed up or I, I've tried to run the opposite direction. There's no way God will even hear my cry. Well, I'm here to remind you this morning that you still have an audience with our Father in heaven. That communication line is not destroyed. It is not cut off even at your lowest point. And Jonah, Jonah experienced that, though he probably wondered, does God hear me? He realized that his God was big enough to know and, and realize that his God could still hear him. You have God's attention and you have access into his throne room always. He has, we see in scripture several places, God has invited us to come and to fellowship with him. In Hebrews chapter four, verse 16, he says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. And there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. That is an invitation for you and me to come boldly into his throne room. That's not an invitation for you and me to get our life figured out first and then have access to God. No, he has invited us wherever we're at, whatever the circumstances, he has invited us to come boldly into his throne room. We have an audience. We have an audience with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is ready to hear us when we cry out to him. And we also know that Jesus continually prays for us. This is his never ceasing work. Listen to these words of Paul in Romans chapter eight, verse 34, who then will condemn us? And Paul says, no one, no one will condemn us for Christ Jesus, the only one that was even in the position of condemning us, what did he do? Instead of condemning, he died for you and me. So no one will condemn us. Instead, he died for us. He was raised to life for us. And look at what Jesus is doing now. He is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he's pleading for you and he's pleading for me. Folks, he is praying for us and he never stops. So we have an audience with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We have access into his throne room. And folks, he is praying, he is pleading, he is interceding for you and me. And if every single one of us stop praying for one another, guess what? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is still praying for you. And, and, and to me, that is, even Jonah in, in his lowest point realizes he still has an audience with God. That communication line is never cut off. But here's my question. Are we taking advantage of God's immediate and continuous availability? Notice how Jonah acted for just a moment. Though he was in the pit of despair, he still knew he could cry out to God. But how many of us in this room would say, I'm so buried in trouble 
And I've tried every earthly resource, but I keep failing to cry out to the one who is always available and ready to rescue. So many people try every, and we've already declared it in song, Christ is enough and he is our promise, he is our hope, he is our reward, he satisfies our every longing and our every heart, but for whatever reason, we try every earthly thing, every temporal thing to find satisfaction, but we're left empty time after time after time again. Instead of crying out to the one, Jesus Christ, who is enough, more than enough, more than able. So here's my question for us this morning. Are we taking advantage, not in a bad way, are we taking advantage of a God who has a listening ear and ready to answer? He's praying for you. He's praying for us. He's pleading for us. He's pleading for your children, your grandchildren, those people that rub you the wrong way. He's praying for them too. But are we taking advantage of a God who has a listening ear, he's ready to answer. And he's inviting us. We have an invitation by the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to come boldly into the throne room of God where we will receive grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. But are we capitalizing on that invitation and taking advantage of what has been made available to us? Notice the the posture of the psalmist in Psalm 5, verses one through three. It says, oh Lord, hear me as I pray. Pay attention to my groaning. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God, for I pray to no one but you. Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my requests to you. And look at what the psalmist says. And he says, I wait expectantly. He waits expectantly, waits to hear from and encounter the presence of Christ. Folks, it might be time So consider this reality and this truth. I I wonder if it's time for us to consider the accuracy of our view of God. What do I mean by that? Are you someone here this morning that's convinced themselves that God doesn't want to hear from God? you because you've rejected him or ignored him or run from him, or maybe you're here today and you've convinced yourself that God can only act on your behalf through some other intervention or somebody else, like like a pastor or a church leader or, or a close family member. If that's the case, then I think our view of God is inaccurate. If we've convinced ourselves that he only wants to hear from those who have their life together or he's only able, able to communicate to us or, or with us through some other person or, or pastor or preacher, then I think our view of God is slightly distorted because remember, we have an audience with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so here's my question. Are we confident that our God hears the cries of those who belong to him? Psalmist was incredibly confident of this truth. He was convinced that God heard him and he was convinced that God would answer. Look at Psalm 17, verse six. I am praying to you, the psalmist says, because I know you will answer, O God. And then there is this this cry, bend down and listen as I pray. Look at the confidence of that psalmist. He said, I'm praying to you because I know you will answer. How confident are you this morning when we pray and when we go before God that he hears you and that he will answer? 
We, we need to have an accurate understanding of who God is. He's not some God that's sitting up on a throne that will only answer us or respond to us or listen to us when we get our ducks in line. No, he's a God who's sitting on the throne, who is pleading for us, who is praying for us and is ready to answer and respond. He's inviting us to come. But for whatever reason, so often as human beings, we look elsewhere, we go to other resources, we go to other people instead of receiving the invitation that God has given to us to come into his throne room, to receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. He is a God who is ready to answer and respond. So are you praying this morning, hoping God hears your cry? Or is your posture of prayer one where you expect God to not only hear you, but answer you? I would challenge us all this morning to make certain that when we pray, it's not just, I hope God hears me. I hope he hears my cry. Go into your closet, go into your car, go into your secret place and pray expecting that God hears you. Now, is it always gonna be an audible voice that you get in return? Probably not. And if we only go into prayer once a month, Are we going to clearly hear from God? Probably not. But if we keep going into the secret place, if we keep approaching his presence, if we keep receiving that invitation to come boldly into his throne room, I can promise you God hears you and he is responding. Now, is that response gonna be a response we want to hear always? Probably not. (laughs) But I didn't say it would be a response we would want to hear. I just said he would respond. He hears us when we pray. Let's not relegate crying out to God, though, only during seasons of trouble. Sometimes that's the only time we go into the secret place. Sometimes that's the only time we go into prayer and and approach God. Let's, Let's make certain that we commune and fellowship with him every day and all the time. But Paul says, pray without ceasing. Let's, let's be constantly aware of the presence of God, that we are constantly in fellowship with him. He wants to hear us. He wants to fellowship with us, and he's invited us to come. We have an audience with God always. Secondly, the second truth is this. God never stops pursuing what belongs to him. Look at John, uh, Jonah chapter three. Let's read it again. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. Mighty waters, they engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters, they closed over me. Seaweed, it wrapped itself around my head. If you've ever been on a lake or, or been near seaweed, I mean, just the fact that it wraps itself around a leg is gross enough, but seaweed is wrapping itself uh, around the head of Jonah. He says, I sank down to the very roots of the mountains, and I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates locked shut forever. Here's a few things that we need to consider. First of all, um, every person belongs to God. We are his. Genesis 1, we, we learn very quickly that we are created in the image and likeness of God, so we belong to him. We know the psalmist says in Psalm 139 that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made by him. We've been designed by him, so we belong to him. He is our creator. We also know in Peter, Peter says that we've been purchased back. We've been bought back. How? By the blood of Jesus Christ. And we also know Paul says very clearly in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 
10, we are his masterpiece. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good work. So, so let's get it straight. We all belong to him. Every human being, because we've been created in the image and likeness of God, no matter their age, no matter their nationality, no matter how annoying they may be, they still belong to God because he is our creator. We've been stamped, we have stamped on us his image. So therefore, because we belong to him, because we are his possession and he's purchased us with his blood, because we belong to him, guess what? He fights for and he pursues us continually. He fights for what belongs to him. We belong to him. And so he goes to bat for us. That's why we replace this in Romans chapter eight. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. That is Christ Jesus who, um, who is for, he is for us and not against us. He is fighting for what belongs to him. And I wanna encourage you just a moment this morning, maybe you're here today and you are praying and pleading with God for a prodigal in your life, somebody who has distanced themselves from a relationship with God, I want you to know with certainty and with confidence that God is on the active pursuit of your son, your daughter, and your grandchild. He is not gonna give up on them. I know we get tired and weary. Sometimes it's hard to pray. Sometimes it's hard to fight. But there is one who is still praying, there is one who is still pleading, and there is one who is still fighting. Why? Because that son and that daughter, they've been created in the image and likeness of God, and they belong to him. And he does not give up on his children. I don't know if this may not capture this at all. Some of you have maybe seen the movie The Fugitive before Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones and, and uh, don't judge me based on whether I've seen it or not seen it. I've, I have seen the movie. Um, but if you know the story at all, there, uh, Harrison Ford is, is um, playing the actor Dr. Richard Kimball and he is on the, uh, he's on the run. He is the fugitive. Um, and, and he is being pursued by the lead marshal who's played by Tommy Lee Jones. And, and even in that story, and I know it's, it's just an analogy, just an illustration, but we see that there is this active, persistent pursuit by, by the lead marshal, Tommy Lee Jones, to try to find and bring back Harrison Ford, Dr. Richard Kimball. And that's just a, a brief illustration, but just so you know, God is perfect and God's pursuit doesn't look like Tommy Lee Jones at all um, in the lead marshal, but his is much greater, all right? He doesn't stop. He doesn't give up on pursuing what belongs to him. I want you to hear this this morning. Though God is not the initiator of calamity and hardship, oftentimes it's the result of our human choices. But even in his sovereignty, he will allow sometimes that calamity or hardship to help woo us, draw us back to him. Consider Jonah's circumstances. Again, Jonah chose to flee in the opposite direction. So what did God do? He, he created a strong wind. He prepared the great fish. In my opinion, those were both acts of incredible grace to bring Jonah back into the fold. I mean, he could have prepared the wind and just let Jonah drown and be gone, but he prepared a great fish and it allowed Jonah time to think and to reflect and to cry out to a God who still hears. Those are acts of grace that we see even as Jonah is trying to flee in the opposite direction. Listen again to the calamity in verses three through six and just close your eyes for just a minute because I, I want you to picture this as I read again how Jonah describes his condition. Listen to these words. You threw me into the ocean depths and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. And then I said, O oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. 
I sank beneath the waves and the waters, they closed over me. Seaweed, it wrapped itself around my head. And I sank down to the very roots of the mountain. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates lock shut forever. You can open your eyes. Yet in Jonah's lowest moment, God did what he snatched him from the jaws of death. Look at the rest of verse six. But you, O Lord, my God, you snatched me from the jaws of death. That is a picture of a God who continually pursues what belongs to him. And I'm here to tell every one of you in this room today, every person that's living, listening on live stream, myself included, God is actively pursuing what belongs to him. And we, we are his children. He has purchased us with his blood. We belong to him. He will not give up. He will not give up on your son or your daughter or your grandchildren. He is still pursuing them. Even when we grow tired and weary, he does not. And I'm thankful for that this morning. And, and, and I think this becomes even clearer when you read the whole story of Jonah and we realize from the very beginning that God, look at what God is interested in doing. God is interested in sending Jonah, his vessel, to the most godless, ruthless, evil group of people known to mankind at the time. So God is even willing to pursue the people of Nineveh, why? Because they too were created in the image and likeness of God and they too deserve to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. He was interested and willing to pursue the least godly people on the planet. That should give us a sense of the heart of God. All need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ and he will pursue all. Remember, God's heart beats for all people. All need to hear, even those we think who don't deserve to hear that news. And finally, number three, God's salvation is available to all and it is received when we submit to him in his ways. Look at Jonah 3, verses seven through 10. As my life was slipping away, Jonah said, look at this, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. But I, Jonah said, will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise and I will fulfill all my vows for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Here's what I want you to see. In chapter two, verse one, Jonah began by doing what? He began by crying out to the Lord. But after he describes his condition and how he is really in the pit of despair, he's at his lowest point, we read in chapter two, verse seven, probably one of my favorite aspects of this chapter, now he does what? He remembered the Lord. He cried out to the Lord in verse one, hoping God would hear his plea. But by the time he gets to verse seven, it says, now he remembers the Lord. Now, as human beings, all of us in this room, if we're honest, we are all forgetful people. Um, I, some of us, I know, cannot remember what we did yesterday. I get that. I understand. Um, I've been there. That happens to me often. If you tell me something at the door on Sunday morning and you hear me say something like email me or text me, it's because I won't remember five minutes later. Um, I'm a forgetful person. I have to write things down. I live and breathe by my calendar, uh, my to-do list. 
if I don't have that, if, if all of that technology stuff just shuts down, I'm probably just gonna sit here in the sanctuary and weep, all right? Um, we are human beings. We are forgetful people. But that's why we see all throughout scripture, there, there are, are instances where there are instructions to remember the Lord and there are festivals that are put in place to help God's people remember what God has done. We see that with the Passover celebration. It was to serve as a reminder. They were supposed to celebrate it every single year as a reminder of God's deliverance when, when they were set free from Egyptian bondage. We know when we get to Judges chapter two, one of the saddest verses in scripture, Judges two, verse 10, it, it says that there was, after Joshua died, there was a new generation that rose up. That generation did not know God and they were not even aware of the things that God had done. And then if you read the rest of Judges, you will see that they started doing what was right in their own eyes, and God kept handing them over to their enemies. They were, they were godless individuals. They were worshiping Baal and Ashtoreth. And, and so we see this godless nation arise. Why? Because they did not know God, and they did not remember what God had done. We always need to be reminded of the Lord. I don't care how good of a memory you have this morning. We all need to be reminded of him and what he has done in our life. This is why the, the corporate worship gathering is so important and so vital. We don't just come together so we can check off the list uh, you know, on our to-do list. Well, I went to church on Sunday. Now I can go back to my normal routine the rest of the week. No, we come to be encouraged. We come to be equipped. We come to remember how faithful God is when we gather in worship. We are reminded of the presence of God. When we see other people in this room, and, and, and some of you may know each other's stories, we are reminded of how good and faithful God is. And so that's why the worship gathering is vital and important because it reminds us of how faithful and good he is. This is why we share together in communion. When we, when we take of the elements, we are reminded of the cross of Jesus Christ. We are reminded of, of his body being broken for us and his blood shed for us. Every time we take of the elements, it is to remind us of, of his work on the cross, but also to help us to anticipate and look forward to his second return when we will share together in that final meal with him around the throne, and this is why we worship. We don't just have a 15-minute time of, of singing up here on the stage just, just so some of us can uh, have a few minutes extra to you know, get into the service or to get into the mood to hear the word of God. No, we, we have Yvonne and the worship team lead us into worship because in those songs, we are reminded of who God is. We are reminded that he, Jesus, is our answer. He, Jesus, is our hope. He is our promise. Christ is enough and that we are to give ourselves to him. Oftentimes, we, we, we are very selective about some of the songs that we sing because we wanna make certain that we're singing songs that are exalting the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We wanna be Christ exalting in everything that we do. And so, yes, we, we may hear a song that's, that's great to listen to on the radio that you love. It may not be a bad song. Maybe it speaks to you. But, but when we gather in the corporate worship setting, setting, we are here to exalt who? Christ. Not, not myself, not my own feelings. And so even in our worship time, even in, in the songs that we sing, we are reminded of who God is and how faithful he is and that he is good. Though we may not see the immediate fruit in someone who is running from God, and, and maybe you're here today and you've been planting seed upon seed and you've watered those seeds, somebody that you know who is running from God and, and you're a little bit frustrated because you're not seeing that immediate fruit, it is still vital that we continue to plant those seeds and water that seed because God's faithfulness at some points 
they may call to remembrance who God is. They, rem- they may remember the one story that you shared about how God has worked in your life. They may remember what Christ did at the cross and, and who knows at what moment that that may click for them. But, but our responsibility is to keep planting, keep sowing, keep watering and allow the goodness and faithfulness of God to work in their life, to bring other people into their life, to help that seed begin to produce fruits. Jonah's life was slipping away. And I'm almost done. His life was slipping away, but he remembered the Lord. Parents, I want to talk to you or even grandparents just for a moment this morning. Writer of Proverbs, most of you know this proverb probably pretty well. It says to train up a child in the way he should go, and he will not depart from it. Hopefully this doesn't bust your bubble this morning, but that's not a promise, it's a principle. Proverbs is a book of principles, not a book of promises. But hear me out. If we point them to Jesus when they are young, if we sow that seed into their heart and into their life in in kids' ministry on Sunday or Royal Rangers and girls' ministry on Wednesday night or through your family devotions throughout the week, if we keep sowing that seed when they are young, even if there is a season where they maybe slip away for, for a year or, or, or two years or just for a short season, there is a much greater chance they will remember the Lord and return to him. How can somebody return and remember somebody they were never introduced to in the first place? And so folks, family, parents, grandparents, church, we have a responsibility to sow seed to the lives of our kids and our grandchildren and, and, and our great-grandchildren to make certain that when they are older, they remember the faithfulness of God. They, they know the stories of what God has done, but not just know them in their head, but experience Christ with their heart. We have a, we have a responsibility as a church Every opportunity we get to pour into your children. That's why our, our, our mission statement is to develop biblically sound believers who reflect the character of Christ. That's not just for adults. That's happening back there with our kids on Sundays. It happens with our kids on Wednesdays. That's why we give them memory verses to remember and to recall. That's why we teach them the importance of, uh, of giving and, and pouring into the kingdom of God because we wanna make certain when they're older and when they start making decisions and choices on their own that they remember what God has done in their life. It, it, it's, it's a principle, but I can tell you it's a very strong principle. And, and, and if you sowed seed into your child's life and they're wandering right now, more than likely they are miserable. Why? Because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit in their life that you sowed into their heart and life when they were younger. We have a responsibility to make certain that that is key. That, that's why we make family worship time a priority. Our children need to hear us talk about God. Our children need to see us pray They need to know that God is faithful, that he is good in not just the good times, but also the bad. They need to see that he's still on the throne, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that despite the circumstances, despite whatever our culture may may be um, propagating or, or wherever we may be politically, that doesn't change who God is. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our children, our grandchildren, all of us in this room, we need to be reminded of that promise. That's why Israel would take time to share the stories, pass them on orally. That's why they would talk about them in whatever context they were in so they could be reminded of God's activity in their lives. But the moment that we stop talking about God, the moment we stop praying at home, I fear that we're gonna have a Judges 2, 10 generation that grows up, doesn't know God, 
and doesn't know the things he has done. But that doesn't have to be the case. We church, we parents, we grandparents, even if your children are raised, you you have an opportunity when kids are here on Sunday or Wednesday to pour into them, to encourage them, to remind them of how special and valuable they are because they're created in the image and likeness of God. And and they may be, and usually it's my own kids, running across the front here. um, And and during worship, if I'm not holding Olive, it's hard telling where she's gonna end up. Um, But but I wanna pour into her. I wanna sow seed and I want you all to pour into her and them and continue to remind them how God, how faithful God is. And then we see, let me end with these last few statements. Remembrance for Jonah led to repentance. He prayed to the Lord. My earnest prayer, he said, went out to you in your holy temple. And he describes the turning from sin back to God. Look at how he pictures repentance in Jonah 2 verses 8 through 10. Those who worship false gods they turn their backs on all of God's mercies. But, but verse nine, here's the turning point. Here's, here's repentance. It's turning away from sin and going toward God. So he says, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise and I will fulfill all my vows for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. So we see Jonah is giving us a picture of repentance. He says, those who worship false gods, they turn their backs on God. He says, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna turn my back on that falsehood, on on that sinful lifestyle, and I'm gonna pursue God with my whole heart and with my whole life. That's what repentance is. If you want a definition of it, it is turning away from sin and turning after or pursuing God. And that's what Jonah does here. He remembered the Lord, and in his remembrance, it led to his repentance. The Lord then rescued Jonah from despair and calamity. He ordered the fish to spit him out onto dry ground. I want to end with these statements that will be up on the screen. God hears. God pursues. God rescues. But do we remember? In her book, Unbroken, author Laura Hillenbrand tells the story of an Olympic runner, World War II prisoner of war survivor, Louis Zamperini. As a young teenager living in Southern California, Louis was better known for causing trouble. Thieving was his hobby, especially if the loot was food. Louis was often in trouble at school for brawling and cared nothing about getting good grades. His poor Italian immigrant parents worried about him and tried to reel him in. Aware of his inadequacies, Louis tried to make up for it by scrubbing the kitchen floor, overhauling the engine of his family sedan, and giving away the goods he stole. Hillenbrand wrote, Louis would give away anything, whether it was his or not. Louis' older brother, Pete, tried to reform him by getting Louis to run track, but even that seemed to fail. One day, Louis got angry about doing a chore and decided to run away. His parents pleaded with him to stay, but when he refused, they sent him off as lovingly as they knew how. Louis' mother made him a sandwich, and his father held out his hand to give him $2, a great deal of money for their family at the time. Louis took the gifts and left. He and his friend hitchhiked to Los Angeles and then jumped a train and headed north. Running away was not the adventure that Louis had hoped for. They barely escaped an oven-like boxcar in which they had been locked. They were caught and forced at gunpoint to leave the train while it was moving. They had to walk for several days, and they wound up sitting on the ground in a rail yard, filthy, bruised, and sunburned and wet, sharing a can of stolen beans. Train went past, and Louis could see passengers sitting comfortably inside. He recalled, quote, I saw beautiful white tablecloths and crystal on the tables and food and people laughing and enjoying themselves and eating, and I was sitting there shivering, eating a miserable can of beans. Hillebrand writes that Louis, quote, remembered the money in his father's hand and the fear in his mother's eyes as she offered him a sandwich. He stood up, 
and he returned home. Would you stand with me this morning? Worship team, if you would come. God hears, God answers, God rescues, but do we remember? I want you to hear the words of the psalmist in Psalm 3. Listen to these words because you may find yourself in this position this morning. And maybe this resonates with you. It says, oh Lord, I have so many enemies. So many are against me. So many are saying God will never rescue him. This is Psalm 3. But you, oh Lord, you are a shield around me. He says, you are my glory and the one who holds my head high. I cried out to the Lord and he answered me from his holy mountain. And then notice the change in the posture of the psalmist here in verse five. It says, I lay down and slept. Yet I woke up in safety for the Lord was watching over me. Not afraid of 10,000 enemies who surround me on every side. Arise, O Lord, rescue me, my God. Slap all my enemies in the face, shatter the teeth of the wicked. Victory comes from you, O Lord, and may you bless your people beginning of that psalm, the psalmist makes it very clear that there are enemies surrounding him on every side. From every angle. The psalmist likely felt like he was in the pit of despair. No hope, no answer, no future. But he went back to what he knows. He recalled something very important. He said, but you, O Lord, you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You, O Lord, are my glory, and the lifter of my head. So I cried out to you, and you answered me from your holy mountain. Because of that, the psalmist was able to lay down, get a full night's rest, no worry, no concern, no care in the world because he knew his God was for him, not against him. His God was protecting him. He remembered who the Lord was.